Hey, thank you all for another episode of Boss Up with Mr. Key. But also, this is the real estate edition where we talk about life in relation to real estate, or we just talk about real estate in relation to real estate, or hey, whatever it is that may touch you in this particular uh, episode, grab on to it, ask questions, let's talk about it, have me uh, double down on it if you want to hear more. But today's uh, topic, I want to talk a little bit about a phenomenon that I am seeing now in the real estate market, and it's being a landlord or having a rental, whether it's long-term or short-term rentals, turning your primary home into a rental home is usually the best way to learn how to become a landlord, learn property management, or to see your investment take another level, uh, or just go in another direction, I should say. So uh, without further ado, uh, let me start back in the beginning. Um, I had an Uncle Virgil is his name we called him uncle birdie um virgil or birdie had like a fourplex unit and it was in a town called harvey illinois and my parents stayed there for a while i'm pretty sure like a lot of his sisters because it was my aunts it's a lot of aunts and a few uncles i'm sure a lot of them may have stayed there at birdie's uh unit as from time to time but i know we had our bout there and what I would notice is that he would show up when it was time to collect. He'd be at the front door, make sure he was talking to my mom. He never really like got in her business or whatever. But when it was around the time for the first, I could always remember he'd show up at the front door and just start a conversation. And maybe he was collecting rent. I was very young back then, so I wasn't really sure. But hindsight, I can kind of understand what was going on now. The other thing I would see is as I grew up as a teenager, we moved out, but Birdie still had this unit. And so there were things that he had to do. He'd grab me. Hey, you want to help and try to get some free labor out of me? But, you know, I was a kid, but I learned. And so part of it was, hey, we got to clean out this trap. Uh, you know, it's going to cost this much for a plumber. I can't wait. Can we try this? Or, hey, there's a crawl space under there. Can we go under there? It was always scary, dirty jobs. And I'm like, look, I can't do that. Like, I, Let's hire somebody and I'll watch. So, um, but at the same time, I've learned through watching Birdie how to maintenance and maintain real estate. And how to be a landlord and how to have a relationship with your tenants in order to make sure that there's a smooth transaction. Um, the transition between receiving rents is really smooth. Uh, all the expectations are laid out in front and there is a good smooth exit strategy with your property. And then in between, I also learned the importance of having good help, good vendors, good handymans, good plumbers, good electricians so that if something goes wrong with the core major issues of the property, you can have some help and also good insurance and maybe even a warranty. So those were some things I learned from Birdie early on and it kind of took me into my life of being a landlord. When I rented out a property, the first one was my own homestead. I decided to move out, but I didn't want to sell it. I want to keep every piece of real estate that I buy unless it was for a power play to make a bigger move. However, I rented out my first home and that was an experience. Uh, at that point, 
you know, I was a young kid. I was maybe, I shouldn't say kid. I was maybe 25 and I rented this home out to a guy and his family. And, you know, he sounded pretty legit. The guy was a pastor and let's just say he wasn't as legit as I thought. So within a short period of time, he couldn't afford to make the payments. And he would just always tell me that it was coming and it would never come. It started off coming late after about three months of living in there. And then it went from a couple of days late to a couple of months to like, okay, now we're working on a month and a half and I haven't received my rent. And I found a lawyer, was able to evict them. But I had to go through that entire process to understand that you know, every piece of gold is not real gold. There's a lot of fool's gold out there. And so from that point, it evolved. I had different level of, you know, tenants. One of the things that I felt, and it may not have been real, being a young man, some of my tenants were older than me. I mean, some of them were the age of my mom, my dad. Some of them were like an age of a grandparent. And I felt like that sometimes because I was younger and I was an owner, that the respect was a little different, you know. So and what I mean by that is sometimes people feel like they'll pay their utility costs. They'll pay their credit card. They'll pay everything else except the landlord. He can wait. Oh, young man, you can wait. That's kind of how I felt. So at that point, I started to establish like a core set of rules in the beginning that I had to stick by. Now, obviously, if they were communicating and saying, hey, I was three days, I'm going to be two days late or this happened. Communication can always go way further away with tenant and landlord relationships. So there were some things that I've learned. Um, went through a lot of crazy, stressful times. Um, and then that property went to two. And then from two properties, it extended. And I, I developed this knack or this skill set where, hey, I can scope a good tenant a mile away. They go through the process. There are certain things that I know to look for. And um, that's how I developed that skill. But anyway, I go back to say, hey, many people are out there that may have bought their homes three years ago where they had a phenomenal interest rate. I mean, some people may even have close to a, a 2.89 interest rate on a property today, although it may have cost them more. Like that interest rate is amazing. You may not ever see it again in your lifetime. So for those folks who only have about three years in the home, great interest rate, but they're thinking about selling or they need to move on. Um, before you sell, I want you to consider something. We've seen prices stabilize. Now, three years ago, if you kept a property for a year during the pandemic times, that property would probably go up 10K. <laughs> I may be going a little ridiculous, but let's, I've seen plenty of people make 100K in one year on their property, even more. At the minimum, 100K. Some people will sell in a year and make 250K. It was crazy during those times. But now the market is corrected. So if you bought your property during that time, during an inflated time, and you want to sell it three years later, chances are you don't have enough equity to pay realtors costs, taxes, closing fees to even net a profit, even net what you put down on the property. So that's something you want to think about. 
if I want to sell right now, now if you have to sell, that's important. But also you got to figure out how to leverage your real estate. And if you have a low interest rate with a low payment, you may be primed to be a landlord. Yep, I said it, a landlord. And a lot of people don't want the responsibilities. I just spent the first five minutes telling you about horror stories of me being a landlord. And it never stops, but, you know, I just got better over uh, a course of 20 plus years. However, now is a good time if you've always thought about it and you have this asset or you have this home to try to be a landlord. Um, and again, you don't have to do it yourself. There's property managers. Property managers charge a fee to take the brunt of the, the load between the tenant and client relationships. Um, but think about it. Um, this pandemic not only gave us the lowest interest rates ever, but I think it's going to spark a revolution of new landlords and they'll appreciate understanding the tenant landlord relationship. They'll appreciate understanding the ways in which they need to communicate in order to be a successful landlord and have a great tenant. Um, look at the numbers. Uh, I would challenge you to call your local agent, call me, reach out to me and ask me, Hey, Andre, like what would my house rent for in this market? Um, and that way you keep the asset. Sometimes the payment versus what it would rent for may yield you some cash flow. So if you're getting 200 bucks a month cash flow and you still hold on to that equity as it starts to go on the uprise or the uptick, then, hey, there you go. That may be a great situation for you. So, again, um, understand that first, how those numbers work out. Um, if you really need to go. And if selling right now, you bought it two years ago or a year ago, if selling right now is still not going to net you anything, then look at it as, okay, maybe I can pay 200 a month to feed into my mortgage while this tenant moves in just to hold that equity or hold that asset until I can get some equity. That may also be a strategy, but again, not everybody can, you know, do what I did. Um, there was plenty of times when it seems like I'm managing multiple properties and around the first of the month or around December time, people will call and say, hey, you know, my refrigerator is not working. This is having an issue. Oh, the doorbell has been broke for like five months. <laughs> you just not telling me now. A lot of times I always put two and two together. I like math. So like two and two is four. And then so I easily add up like it's ironic or I find it pretty interesting that the only time I get this call about issues is when the first of the month is coming around. Now, do you, are you trying to say, hey, can we reduce the payment and I'll take care of it? Or, hey, you know, with tenants, you never know. Hey, you know, you didn't fix that until 30 days later. Can I take like X amount off the rent? So, I mean, you got to watch out for those little tricks. But going back to my story, it was around right after November, Black Friday. And I got all these calls. Oh, I need this. I need that one. The main one was the refrigerator was out of order. It was done for. And I was kind of sick because the refrigerator at those times was probably at least 1200 bucks and it's Christmas time. And in my lease, it was my responsibility. <laughs> what the hell am I going to do? 
Um, you know, I, I lay down. I was so stressed. It had me vexed that I, I took a nap in the middle of the day. I was just like, man, I need to sleep on this one. Like this one is have it has me sweating with stress. And when I woke up, something hit me and said, warranties, Andre, warranties. So first thing I did was like, ah, that refrigerator. I called Sears. Hey, this is Mr. Key. Here's my information. I bought that refrigerator not too long ago. Is there a warranty? Oh, yes. You're still under warranty. We could come fix that refrigerator. Then I dug a little deeper. Like, okay, you can put warranties on a refrigerator. What else can I put? A, what if it wasn't under warranty? Like, could I cover it? No, oh, yeah, you can put a warranty on your entire house. What? Oh, wow. A warranty on my entire house? How much would that cost? And you wouldn't believe some of the prices. I mean, 600 a year, you can get a warranty. Okay, if something breaks down, then what does that mean? Well, you can call the preferred contractor, and that contractor for a small deductible will come out and fix your appliance. What? <laughs> oh, man. So that was one of the things that, like, after I took that sleep, I woke up and I heard a voice whisper warranties in my ear. And ever since then, like, it, it helped me mitigate that risk. Um, mitigating a risk as a landlord is the key thing. I think if you understand what risk you can encounter, you can definitely understand how to mitigate or control that risk. So that it's not as scary. Uh, a lot of people, oh man, I can't deal with being a landlord, this and that. Like, what if this happens? What if that happens? You know, what will I do? What What if I'm stretched thin? All of those are great concerns. The what ifs are important to know about. I mean, I've just so happened to have been doing it so long that I've been through a ton of what ifs. However, <laughs> if you know the what ifs, you can figure out the solutions. And if you have those solutions under your utility belt, I don't know if anybody watched Batman, but Batman always had a utility belt. So no matter what the problem was, if he needed to scale to bit scale a bit a building, he would have a claw that'll shoot out, grab the top of the building and pull him up. If he needed to like drive a jet, he'd have like a key somewhere in his belt so he could get in the jet and drive it. If he needed to crack a safe, whatever, Batman had everything in that utility belt. But what I realized is that's risk mitigation. Like any issue that could occur, Batman would have a tool. And even if the tool is not used specifically for that risk, you can be innovative and kind of like rig it so that it fits the scenario. So, again, if you think about what could happen with these tenants, what if this happens? What if that happens? What if they don't, they don't pay? Well, hey, you have an attorney as in your tool belt that's maybe 500 bucks for an eviction. Or you have a handyman in your tool belt that is pretty well you know, versed on a lot of the minor things that can happen. Or you have something written in your contract to protect you from a risk. So all of these things are a part of your Batman utility belt. And I think the you know, you can go through a ton of scenarios. Now some people will go through some crazy scenarios and you, you really, okay, come on now. An alien comes on the top of your home and breaks your roof. Okay. I mean, that could probably happen, but that's what you have insurance for. I mean, we will write that in the insurance policy. Um, but again, it's always good to be prepared um, and stay on top of that when trying to be a landlord. 
talking back about being a landlord or landlord tenant um, relationship. The other thing is vetting your tenants, you know, trying to understand what makes a good tenant. Um, They have this thing in Texas, um, maybe many other states where the tenants have to show at least three months of the income before they can rent the unit. What does that mean, Andre? Well, what that means is look at check stubs. Oh, you work, right? Can I see three months of your check stubs? You know, that may be six different check stubs. They may get paid bi-weekly. They may get paid weekly. So you have to do a lot of due diligence or your team has to do this due diligence. But you can find out that they have X amount coming in. Okay, great. Rent's $2,000. This guy is showing about 6000 between him and his spouse, significant other or roommate that they can afford that. But then the other thing you want to do is look at the credit report. I mean, obviously, great credit trumps all. Like, okay, this person is financially responsible. So they're going to pay. If they pay their car note, they pay their student loans, they pay their credit cards on time, pretty chances are they're going to pay where where they go to live or lay their heads on time as well. But if it's, you know, certain neighborhoods where, like, okay, the credit is okay, but it's not where I would like it, Then you want to look at how much is going out versus how much is coming in. You know, okay, there's some blemishes on your credit. You wrote a letter. You told me about it. Now, I understand because I'm human and I want to have a good tenant landlord relationship. However, how many car notes do they have to pay? Your credit report will show that. So if this guy has a car note, that's $700. Um, That doesn't include insurance. That may not even show up on your credit report has like a credit card with like a $5,000 limit. He's at about 3,500, he or she, 200 a month, student loans, 300 a month, but they're showing that they made 6,000 a month. Now I'm doing some different type of math. Like I'd like for that to be kind of a, at a certain ratio and you can choose any ratio that you'd like, but you know, again, go into that utility belt. You know, one of my tools is being able to kind of do math and look at what a person has coming in versus coming out and determine if it's a good ratio to add that person as my new tenant. Um, So those are some of the things you want to look at when vetting the tenant. Um, Sometimes you can go to where they used to live or, you know, call their referrals, call their landlord and see if you're getting uh, a good referral or a good recommendation maybe even ride by their neighborhood. I mean, you know, some people don't have a lot of time to do that as a landlord, but some people are like, this is your house. Sometimes many people out there listening, this is your first house. This is your baby that you're about to lease out to a stranger. So, I mean, if you feel like you want to do a drive-by, hey, I was just in the area, I wanted to knock on your door, (laughs) you know, I mean, as long as you're not breaking the law, you do what you can to mitigate this risk and vet uh, your tenants. Um, so, and again, after a while, you you know, you can put pieces together. You can't discriminate based on a person's job or whatever. If somebody told me they once looked at the shoes that the person wore, I want to make sure they have clean shoes because they'll keep my house clean. Well, I mean, whatever works for you, but that's some, you know, to me, I'm like, you can't really fucking tell anything from that, but you know, maybe you can, you know, if it's, Hey, he may be mega rich and just need a short-term rental and he just wears the same shoes every day for five years. (laughs) 
So, I mean, but there, there are some things, everybody's formula is different. Now, if you want to come to me as a professional and find out what I do, I definitely would sit down with you. I mean, I love to coach about being able to be a, a landlord. Um, but sometimes your psychology has to work behind a tenant landlord relationship. The other thing I find many people are concerned with, and again, like I said, it's maybe first time home owners. They, they remember when they bought that house. They remember when their kid took their first steps in this house. And now instead of selling it and having nothing else to do with it, they're renting it out and they're keeping it. They're extending the usage of this property. And memories are come with that property. And even if it's three years old, a lot can happen in a person's life in three years. So now you're like, oh, man, somebody's going to live in it when they move out. I I'll tell you this. You need to prepare yourself that once you sell your home or once you lease out your home, it's not that same baby. <laughs> it's, it's just not the same. I mean, to some people, it doesn't make a difference. For some people that has that have that sentimental value or that sentimental hold to that home, like just get it out of your mind. It's no longer just yours. You shared it. And when you see it after the other people move out, it may not look the same. It may not smell the same. I tell you, I tell you what, there's an analogy or there's this thing that happens when you graduate middle school or you leave middle school and you go to the high school. And then you come back to the middle school years later and it looks very small. Like it looks different. Like, whoa, I used to walk these halls. What the heck? You're not realizing you were much smaller or you were a different person probably then versus high school. It's the same way with your house. You know, a couple of years of renting it out and you come back in it and it's like, this doesn't even feel right. Like I wouldn't even buy a house like this. Like, <laughs> what the carpet like oh you know so again at that point it becomes your business and your business you you take off your emotional hat you put on your business hat and you determine hey okay there's a hole in the wall carpet's a little you know messed up we need to go in and fix this baby back up and patch it back up get it back going put it back out there for lease and it's kind of cut and dry like you can't you can't hold on to memories in that. I mean, if you can and you can turn the switch when it's time to go from business to sentimental things, then OK, fine. But you can't hold a sentimental item and transfer it over into business. I mean, again, the tenant and landlord relationship has to be on good footing. And if you're like going over there and you're like, oh, man, they're always cooking with grease or it always smells like this in my house. Yeah, OK, yeah, it is your investment, but it's their home right now. Yeah, it, you have the deed. True, it's your house, but it's their home. You leased it out to a secondary family. So, again, um, being a landlord, you got to have the stomach for it. You got to be ready for it. And I mean, as it grows, if it starts to pay you, I think you'll be pretty happy. The other thing I want to talk to you about um, renting out your home or being a landlord. And again, um, I have a degree in accounting. Um, however, I just determined that being an accountant wasn't like it didn't fit with my DNA. And that's fine. There's some good accountants out there. I still know quite a bit about accountancy. Um, and but so 
I'm saying that to say, like, take this piece of information, go to your professional CPA, talk to your accountant. Don't take my word for it because accounting laws and principles change pretty frequently, change with administrations, change with the years. But one of the things that I've noticed with my properties is that for your properties and your federal taxes, there are some benefits that you can obtain. Um, you know, there is a benefit called depreciation. So if you have an asset, which is a home that you use for income, you can write off or gain a credit. I don't want to word it the wrong way. Please do your research, but you can utilize that to offset some of your income. That's right. Even though your house appreciates in value and you get that appreciation called equity, there's also depreciation that you can write off on your taxes that can help offset some of your income. So that's another thing. Obviously, the repairs that you, you that you spend, um, you know, anything, any expenses that you incur with having that property versus the rents that you get, it can offset. It can offset quite a few things. And I think that owning property is one of the best tax benefits. Um, you can ask those presidents who've never paid taxes before. I bet you if you look in their portfolios, they own a ton of real estate. Um, but, you know, I, I don't want to get into political business. Um, but, yeah, talk to your local tax uh, or your CPA or whoever prepares your taxes or Google. You know, it's Google's your friend. Look and see if you can benefit tax wise from having an investment property. Um, again, that is something that I think is one of the dynamic principles of owning investment property or turning your home into an investment property is the tax benefits. Uh, so it's another thing. Turning your homestead into a rental property. I like that title, turning your homestead into a rental property. Again, just to recap, what does that mean? Turning your homestead into a rental property. Many people that own properties, they want to go buy another home or they want to experience, hey, I want to be a landlord. I want to invest in multiple homes. I want to have 10 homes down the line and I want to manage them. I want to be, I want to know how this works. Well, the best way to educate yourself is if you buy a second home, turn that original homestead into a rental property. That way, you know the ins and outs of that house. You know how the math works out. You know what that monthly payment is going to be. Um, you talk to professionals. You do your research. You figure out what the risk can be and have your tool belt to mitigate that risk. You can realize the tax benefits of of renting out your home. You can also do some research and through trial and error, learn how to vet tenants, learn how to get, get good tenants and have a great tenant landlord relationship with them with communication as the first key, setting expectations, writing a good, strong lease and having your lawyer stand by just in case you have to evict. Um, you got to have a stomach for eviction. Let's talk about evictions. That's a real part of owning a property is evictions. A um, couple of stories. Um, I have a property in, in Northwest Indiana. 
Northwest Indiana in this in the wintertime, it gets pretty cold. It snows. Like you could get like eight inches of snow in, in that area in any given winter day. And so I had a, a, a tenant. I, I remember when I took on this tenant, she was getting monies from uh, like her mom had was getting retirement funding and social security. So let's just say the money that she was getting from her mom added up to a substantial amount. Well, then I knew she could cover the rent. She had a pretty good job. Um, so her job was just utilities. And she was like, Andre, like I could, I want to add this to the house. I want to do this to the deck. I want to, I have the money. I have the income. Would you mind? No, no, no. Let's not make any changes. But like, I like the income and I like the credit. And so, well, actually that credit wasn't the greatest, but like the income was great. And they had a job on top of the mom's uh, income. Well, three months later, the mom passed away. Um, I don't get into family business. I don't know if there was an insurance policy, but I do know that that money stopped after about three months of being my tenant. And from that point, it was very difficult for me to collect rent from this lady. Um, at that point, I had moved out of the home, obviously, on a different side of town. I was in Chicago. They were in Northwest Indiana. And so I didn't visit often, but I did have conversations about, hey, no, actually, I was living in Texas at that point. And so I'm like, hey, you know, you're not paying me. You've given me story after story. This is my livelihood. This is my business. So I have to evict you. And the lady, like she had her cousin call, her nephew called me. She she begged and pleaded. It's wintertime. You can't do this. But by that time, it was like three months behind, three months of mortgage payments that I couldn't make. I mean, I had my own household, like what the hell? So um, luckily it, it was a state where I pay the 500 bucks and the person can get evicted in less than th in about 30 days. Those are the best states. Uh, you have to check your municipality to see how long. Um, I mean, I had a property in Chicago. It took almost a year to even get it in court for eviction. But in certain states, it could take 30 days guaranteed. Um, so when I went to visit the house after she was evicted, I looked in the shed and there was boxes of electronics, kids, skates, looked in the house. There were boxes, a brand new TV, like all these boxes. Like this person had a shopping problem. She had grandkids and she was just buying up stuff and like some of the stuff wasn't even taken out of the box. And I, I, I thought about it. I was like, wow, all of this was more important than paying me. <laughs> and what I found out is that sometimes people go through this like situation where they're up underwater and psych psychologically they can't really phantom doing the right thing. They just keep spending and throwing away money and Hopefully they'll get a sign or, or some kind of revelation that it's going to all get better. But typically it doesn't. So anyway, you know, I kicked her out, but it cost me three months on top of the eviction, on top of the work that I had to do with the place. I think, you know, at that point I learned that, Andre, you can't play around like 
you have three day late policy. If they pass that, you need to send out a 10 day, 14 day notice, whatever your state requires. And you need to start the eviction process unless you get paid and you can't take portions of that rent. You got to get the entire amount or they have to go. That sounds pretty brutal. And over the years, I've dealt with some tenants that have had rough patches in life, rough patches. But guess what? The tenant that actively communicates and do what they say they're going to do, you may cut some grace. If I've known you for a year, you've never been late. Now you know you're going to be late. And you tell me in the beginning of the month, I'm probably going to be late this month. Like I'm in transition with my job. I exhausted my savings. Can you give me, I started a new job. Can you give me like three days past the, the rent? Uh, yeah, there's a late fee, but I'm glad you communicated. And like those are things. And so you may get a tenant that says, hey, for 30 days, I am out of pocket. Like everything happened, my savings, this and that. But here's my plan to pay you back. It's a feasible plan. You can show me evidence that that plan is going to come to fruition. Then I may grant you grace. But after that, I can't go further than that. You know, that four months or three months that that lady cost me, you know, although it may have been someone's grandmother, it could have been mine very well. But it's my business as well. And I have a family, too. And that is my investment. And if I would have lost it or foreclosed because I couldn't catch up, I don't think that lady would have cared. She wouldn't have offered me a red cent, even if she would have gotten on her feet. So um, that's the thing. Evictions. You got to have a, a, a tough stomach for it. Um, you have to sometimes be very strict. Follow the lease. No lates. Nope. As soon as you late, I can't grant you anything. You have to pay the late fee. Um, sometimes you have tenants that have been with you for five, six years. Those are the best ones. They want to stay forever. Do you ever want to buy a house? Nope. I like renting from you. Great. I'm going to go up every year. You can stay here. So if there's a five-year relationship and this person is, you know, maybe late, they let you know I'm going to be late a few months. Guess what? I'm going to waive that fee. You know, I appreciate you. This time I'm going to waive it. Three times in one year. Okay. Now we have a problem. <laughs> but, you know, and I've always started my conversations with my tenant. Again, communication, tenant, landlord relationship. Hey, um, everything's okay. Like you, you got a new job. Can you still afford this place? I know when you first moved in here many years ago, this is where you were. Rents have increased. Can you still afford this place? Like have a real conversation with me. I'm going to have a real conversation with you. We can again, go into our utility belt and, you know, mitigate that risk, prevent something for, from spiraling out of control. And we hate each other. You know, me, I don't hate you. I just, it's just business. I, I'm sorry. You got to go. So, um, again, you know, you have to turn your business hat on, take your sentimental hat away. Um, you know, a single parent, three children, they can't pay. Um, parent lost their job. Unemployment doesn't cover what are you going to do? Like as a landlord, what are you going to do? <laughs> you got to look in the mirror and say, Hey, what does my heart tell me? What does my business mind tell me? 
hey, I'm a single parent. I own properties. If you don't pay, my family struggles too. So again, like I don't want to like make it sound like, hey, you should do people wrong. But you set firm expectations. You got to stick by the letter, the letter of the law. Good communication will help you. Um, but at some point, people have to go. Families have to go, including the dog. <laughs> they have to go. And you have to be prepared to follow through and deal with those steps. So um, that's just another part of being a landlord. Um, so for all you homesteaders to landlords out there, uh, you know, consider that as well. So a lot of times it's always a good thing to have a property manager if you don't have the stomach for it. Put that property manager in as your face. That property manager has no sentimental value to that house. That property manager is just trying to do their job. Make sure you get your rent. Make sure the house gets fixed on time. Having good, handy men in place is another value that's important. Having electricians, having the people in place. Um, I worked in an environment where we learned how to do things virtually way ahead of what people are doing now. Now people can live in California and work in Louisiana um, and never have to visit the office. Well, I kind of took that whole principle many years back and became a virtual landlord. You know, obviously I told you I have properties in the Midwest. I moved to Texas. Some of these properties I haven't set my own eyes or hands on in years. All I know is that they're performing, they're paying me on time. But if I had issues, you know, what do you do? Like, do you have to run or catch a flight to fix it or figure it out on the fly? Well, again, if you have a good tenant landlord relationship, you find out what's going on. And back in those days, I would go to Craigslist, Facebook, and just figure out who the local handymen or handy people were and say, hey, you know, I need to change a sump pump. Um, you know, a sump pump is something people in certain areas know. Some never heard of a sump pump. But anyway, it's a plumbing thing. So I have to change. I have this plumbing issue. What do I do? Call three plumbers in the area who can give me a free estimate. I may have to pay for some estimates in the beginning, but... You know, every education cost. So every time you learn something, like you go to college, unless you got a full ride scholarship, it's going to cost you something. It's going to cost you a hell of a lot. But if you need to pay a couple of plumbers to go through and take a look, okay, you pick a good one who does the job. You get a good relationship with that person and that person becomes your plumber. Same thing with the electrician. Maybe you can find people that'll give free estimates. Maybe they're that hungry. A lot of times, a lot of my vendors weren't the main ones. They were just the mom and pop vendors that were happy to get business. And I kept them consistently as my go-to people. And one of the things I would say is, hey, when you go into the house and you walk around the entire house and tell me what kind of shape it's in, let me know if this looks rusted if this wood looks rotten if you see termites let me know i know they're not an expert but and then also have that person to do like a yearly inspection of the property so you can vet all these people from far away um and again it's a part of relationship building and having good communication with these people um and then at that point you have some contractors that you can trust so if you have issues with that property it's on speed dial and they take care of it. You reimburse them. Sometimes there's like a net 30. Hey, I don't have it right now. But I then when I collect the rent, I'll make sure you get paid. 
Sometimes if you have a good relationship with a tenant, make that payment and we'll work it out on the rent. Like, I mean, uh, some of this stuff is violation. You don't want to get too loose with that. But if you have good relationships, some of this stuff can work because there's trust involved with having good relationships. So again, vetting people, having people, you don't have to see them to know that, hey, he sounds like he's about his business. Guess what? When you go into the property, take pictures and send me pictures of the device that you change and get the tenant involved. Hey, you know, the plumber is coming tomorrow. I'd like for you to be there, ask some questions, ask these questions for me. Any other concerns that you notice about the house, talk to the plumber about it, you know? So again, you build up this network from afar virtually. And so like, that's how I can rent a property out in Florida or Indiana, not even step foot in it for years, you know, and have eyes out there from people that I feed, you know, some houses are going to have multiple problems. If you have a general contractor or should I quote unquote a handyman or handy person that is pretty much proficient in a lot of stuff, unless it's serious, that person really is vested because you call them almost for everything and they can almost do everything. And they have a knack to know, hey, Andre, this is going to go out soon. You need to, you know, either change it right now or stay out in front of it. You know, so again, you can do this virtually. You don't, you know, a lot of people want to buy a house that's close to them. And if it gives you a peace of mind to have your first investment property somewhere close to your main home, do it. But if you're okay, if you have to move across state lines and right now, it's not a good time for you to sell. You think now, don't get me wrong. I always feel like any time is a good time to sell. You can make it work. But if you don't have any equity and you need to leave that property, you have a low interest rate, becoming a homesteader to tenant, or I'm sorry, homesteader to landlord is something you need to start researching and understand and understand how you can do all these things to manage it. And if you have to pay someone else to manage it, understand at least some of the things just a little bit, understand them just a little bit so that when you talk to the property manager, you know what's going on. You know kind of which direction you need to go. So in conjunction, if you want to put it all together, let, let's recap. We talked about low interest rates. Low interest rates in the past three years, you probably won't ever see those in the next 20. Hopefully it doesn't take another pandemic for us to see interest rates like that. But like, I mean, maybe, maybe not. But anyway, you have low interest rates, meaning you may have a low monthly payment, meaning you've only been in the property for a short period of time, meaning you may not have a lot of equity if you need to sell, meaning you may want to consider leasing that house out. Leasing that house out is important to have a good landlord-tenant relationship good communication. You must know how to vet good tenants. You must also understand the risk and learn how to mitigate that risk and have a tool belt in place for the risk that you could perceive happening. You also have to know how to evict. You have to know when, hey, this ship is sinking. I need to get rid of some weight so this ship can continue to sail. Um, and then also you need to understand that there's some tax benefits for you. And on top of the tax benefits, figure out how to get some trusted people on your team. 
so that if you have to, you can manage that property virtually. You can manage that property from almost anywhere. And the business of being a landlord will work for you, even possibly pay you right away a monthly cash flow while you sleep. And uh, I guess that's the lesson for today. <laughs> it's a wrap. Tune in to Boss Up with Mr. Key, the real estate edition. Um, at places where all podcasts are found and on YouTube.